This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here is my full colour, not a fake co-host, Jan. Hello, Jan. Full colour, not a fake. There's some racism in there, I think, but let's not go there. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well, very well indeed. We are back to talk about all things happening on the internet or in this case one particular thing happening on the internet which is a uh, a maintainer of a set of uh, projects who quote unquote sabotaged his own um, open source projects as a protest what do you make of all of this well, it was inevitable that uh, open source would enter the guerrilla warfare stage at some point, so I guess they're finally there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was something we found on the internet recently that kind of, uh, well, it took me back a couple of uh, steps, to be honest, a couple of double takes, because I've it's never happened before, I think, that it's been this obvious. I'm sure some lesser known projects have done some weird things and projects have been infiltrated by hackers where, and who added mm. Bitcoin mines, stuff like that. Well, this was basically the uh, maintainer of the, I say it correctly, NPM uh, package uh, management thingy that wanted, to, I guess, a cry for help because he is suffering from uh, what, uh, after some research, turned out to be a much more prevalent problem of the single or small amount of maintainers of a project issue. Yeah, I mean, in particular, the, this the particular developer here. Uh, whose name I can't immediately. Well, no need to call find. the person specifically, I would say, but it's uh, Marek Squires. That's it. Um, so Marek changed the uh, the two NPM modules, Colors and Faker or Faker, to start um, putting out a banner. Uh, as part of the uh, on the console and that action just happened to um, break compatibility with a bunch of people that were using this software depending on how they were using it now the the kind of slightly strange thing here is that it's not that he has you know chosen to take a stand with his particular piece of software that he's fed up of, you know, large organizations um, basically using his uh, libraries and him not seeing a, a cut of the action, you know, famously Amazon's cloud developer kit uses um, some of these libraries and uh, was suddenly broken for, you know, on their part, no apparent, uh, no apparent reason because all it does is pulls in the latest versions um, and, uh, they were not expecting this. So, uh, the, can I interject there a small one? Yeah. You're kind of putting uh, all of the responsibility on the project maintainers here. I mean, if you're using open source, we've been talking about this over the years multiple times. Don't just download, uh, build, push it out, right? You should have some steps in place to do your own diligence because you are taking, in these cases, fruit of the labor of persons that are doing this for funsies, basically, because they're not getting paid for this. And you as a company should be it's up to you to make sure the stuff is working correctly 
So in this case, if which is probably what happened, because else they would have figured this out before it went live, of course, they just yeah. downloaded probably an automated build system that downloads a new version, pushes it out, and whatever. That's actually also bad, right? I mean, <coughs> I would say, sure, the maintainer corrupted the package. Fine, that was his choice. It's his thing. We'll talk oh, about mean, that more in depth later. But Amazon I, I, is not full, uh, free of blame here, right? No, no, I completely agree with you. In fact, I'm... I use the word corruption because that's the thing that uh, corruption or breaking or those are the things that uh, keep getting thrown around in the in a lot of the commentary when this is explained. And I think for the most part, it's unsurprising that I think that's due to it being of an inflammatory nature and the people looking to stir things up. <laughs> but realistically, the developers done nothing wrong. Like they've decided to change the way that their libraries work. Like, it's their software. Exactly. They're entirely entitled to change how it works, completely rewrite it. I mean, delete it from the internet if they want. Yeah, the Bitcoin like, miner. Yeah, it's their software. So I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean actually, in uh, that was where I was heading next when I was uh, talking right. earlier. Because the this whole thing, we, we had a session with um, some folks from the Linux Foundation a while back talking about um, the software bill of materials yeah. uh, concept. And that's exactly the sort of thing that's tied into uh, this whole uh, situation. The idea that you don't just pull from latest all the time. Or if you do, you accept the risk that something upstream could get inserted into your code, into your project, into your um tech stack whatever it is and if you're not paying attention to it well then that's on you that's on your um your doorstep to go true but in case of amazon i think it's one step further because not only were they affected their customers and there's quite a couple of them out there were also affected by this problem and yeah. amazon does have a contractual obligation i would almost say to make sure that their stuff is at least checked in a way that they have done their best to make sure it's a stable situation for their customers i mean they do have a, a duty of care is that a phrase to use here yeah yeah and i think so i mean it's one thing as a company to use something and now your accounting doesn't work anymore for some reason this is actually and that's the main crux of the story as well i think this is a, a large company taking open source repackaging it and putting it out again for consumption yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things in there. And as far as I remember, Amazon and all the other ones that got affected by this. We're just picking on Amazon again because Amazon's kind of the easy target. We talked about it in the pre-show mm, already. Mm. But, uh, I mean, there's, there's more than just Amazon who's affected by this. They, they, they should care about this stuff. That They should do a lot more, in my opinion, to help open source in general. But at least do the due diligence to make sure that this stuff doesn't get out like this. I mean, if they had done their job correctly, then this would still have been newsworthy. A pop-up that Amazon had... Uh, replaced uh, had published a press release saying that they rolled back their npm version because maintainer did blah would have been fun would have been the attention that the guys sought for without having mm -hmm. any big effect on the world to be honest mm. yeah i mean the, the i'd like to get come back to the npm story a little bit later because i think there's mm -hmm. a there's a second part to this that we both agreed in the pre-show was like somewhat more concerning but 
um, I want to kind of take us on a journey before we loop back to that. And that journey is all about the fact that, okay, colors and, and FOCA have come into the, uh, the forefront, you know, very recently due to this particular event, but the story of very critical key projects with either single or, um, you know, very small numbers of maintainers, some of which are very much only part-time with maybe one person having a, uh, a long-term uh, understanding of the project. Like this is, this has been a significant problem for open source, uh, for quite a long time now. Yep. The, there's, um, you know, I did a bit of digging around cause, uh, been in OSS for a while and there's a, f- a few sort of fairly, um, common, um, and well-known events. So for those of you following along on YouTube, you can see some of the articles, uh, up there, but the, you know, one back in, uh, 2015 was, uh, a guy named Werner Koch, who, um, is the pretty much, or at that time was pretty much the sole developer of, uh, GPG, um, used, um, pretty heavily across, uh, uh email encryption and, you know, he was he was basically going going broke like you know this was a a piece of software i mean you don't see too much about um gpg or gnu privacy guard um as much as you used to with it with email encryption i think um it's still I think, I believe at least it's still the pretty much the gold standard for what people are using, but there's a lot of other, um, tech used in place. Now you can do a lot of other things with encryption, but this was, um, a bit of a wake up call, uh, that started a, at least a small revolution where the shortly after this came to light, the Linux foundation um, actually put together some, something called the core infrastructure initiative that essentially raised about nearly $4 million from large scale, um, industry. Um, there's a, a list of page, a list of, um, list of the folks involved, but essentially, uh, it's everybody from, you know, Cisco, Google, Oracle, um, Red Hat, IBM, and probably many others that basically got together and said that like, there are certain projects that are absolutely critical to our underlying infrastructure, and we need to make sure that we are supporting them in some way, shape or form, because we depend on them as organizations and, um, Werner as part of, you know, Werner's project. Uh, GPG was identified as part of that and, you know, got some of that funding. Um, and I think the interesting thing here is I've not heard about that particular Linux foundation project since, um, I, I'm assuming it's something that is still running, but I don't know for sure. And I don't know what other newer projects have been added to it because the the ecosystem of projects and dependencies has become so complicated that like there's a few things that are relatively easy to identify so things like gpg 
NTP is another one um, that has a, you know, up until sometime in 2014 had basically a, a single maintainer that knew the majority of, of what was going on with MTP. And OpenSSL is famously uh, yet another one that had um, some fairly significant challenges with a small maintainer group and some fairly significant um, problems with things like Heartbleed uh, being released. And all of a sudden people realized, oh, we're just kind of relying on this thing that has basically, you know, one or two maintainers and a few part-time people. Yet OpenSSL is literally everywhere. There's almost every single system that has a, some form of secure connection is probably running OpenSSL. So when you're talking about projects that just have either single maintainers or small groups of maintainers and some of them part-time, there seems to be a real disconnect, I guess, between in some cases the level of importance of these pieces of software and how much importance, I guess, we place on them as a tech industry. We just assume that those things will always be there, will always work, will always be relatively bug-free. Yeah, I think it's not as much importance, but value. And that's something I use in my private life, a little saying I have, that something given has no value. Mm -hmm. If you get it for free, you assume it's going to be free forever. If you've had to put some effort in, put some money in, or do, do something active to it, to it, it becomes a part of your own thing, and it gets value from that. And open source, these free open source uh, projects have been for free for so long, we just assume that they're going to be there forever. We don't see any value in them. We see importance, and we want them, we like them, mm. but it never got to that stage of this is a valuable for me, which means I can put... A, val a return on investment against it because now an, a free project has zero cost so i don't need a budget for that when i put value onto that i can say you know this project for me represents a value of x amount of dollars just to make it very financial focused now and i could put a budget against that and in the last decade or so that has never happened and even these couple of uh, Linux Foundation uh, projects that gathered some money around, as far as I could find, uh, I agree, those were one-time things. The money got uh, collected, distributed, people got some stuff, but the person from the, uh, the first article we talked was about uh, GPG, he actually wrote, the article actually wrote, well, I'm, I'm set for the next couple of months and we'll see what happens after that. And that for me indicates there's no continuation of that funding happening. It also appears that those money grants had a bit of a perverted effect of causing more forks. Because yep. maybe this cause and effect. You, you mentioned that GPG, OpenGPG, is being less visible. It's still there, but there's other ways of doing it now. Well, one of the effects of having this kind of thing going on is probably that people, I'm not going to say lose confidence, but kind of hedge their bets a bit more. And that inevitably leads to more uh, fracture, fracturing of what could have been a single project made better. Now, this is, of course, a, a difficult situation because on the one hand, competition is good. Having multiple mm. projects trying to do the same thing in different ways, innovation happens from there, so that's good, that's decent, as long as the ecosystem for that single thing is big enough. But if you have 
one project with one designer or maintainer or four projects each with one maintainer, you haven't solved the problem there. It would have been better in that case, I think, to have a single project with four maintainers because that will give you the persistence, the uh, the generation after generation maintaining, I mean, passing it father to son kind of thing, which is clearly missing for a lot of these very important projects. For me, throwing money at it, it's maybe a stopgap thing. It'll so solve the problem for now, whatever now is. But it's not a long-term thing unless the money becomes structural, the, 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 the funding, the budgeting becomes, fu becomes fundamental. And that, for me, then kind of in indicates that a business should adopt that uh, project. But then you kind of run the risk of the open source project becoming more or less proprietary because if a certain company is behind it, well, their agenda will drive the development, the, the future roadmap of that project. Inevitably, I mean, makes sense. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to, to solve. Yeah, so... The interesting thing is that, uh, and I I didn't realise this uh, when we were when we either when we started this conversation or when we chatted to our friends from the Open SSF. But actually, so the core infrastructure initiative has actually been absorbed by the Open SSF. So I think if you remember tail end of last year um probably about a month or so after we'd talked with um the open ssf folks there was an announcement that they'd just received a fairly large and i'm scanning down to take a look i can't see it off the top of my head a fairly large um funding round um, or a fairly large chunk of funding for um, for this reason. So I believe that um, the things that started off with the core infrastructure initiative have continued in some way, shape, or form. So I do think this was more than just like a a one a one stop shop. But you're right; it doesn't help. Like in some of these cases, the damage is is done. So you know, OpenSSL, um, there were forks of that. Um, LibreSSL was one fairly popular fork that is now very prevalent within the OpenBSD world. BoringSSL was a, a fork that Google kicked off, and they've since um, developed a new library which is based on BoringSSL called Tink. Um, it, you know, maybe it hasn't had the huge proliferation of forks that some other projects have have suffered, but it's still it's still one of those things that is just fundamentally uh, always a challenge with open source, which is the the nature of of people to think that it's easier for them to go and fork something and do something themselves rather than probably go the slightly more difficult route in the shorter term to figure out how they can work better with an existing project, an existing set of maintainers, maybe an mm -hmm. existing organization. Like I've seen time and time again over many, many years the the sort of 
not invented here syndrome that many organizations mm. sort of many organizations look at a project and they think oh i'd like to do that but something a bit different and rather than sort of talk with the maintainers and and the community and and see if they can um get their ideas heard they just go and stand up a brand new project and lo and behold you know 90 percent of those things fail into in, uh, into insignificance yeah but they don't do they because if you fork something you it's not the not invented here sandra syndrome because you fork what exists and build on top of that which means you, you're adopting what somebody else built so i mean the problem is because it's part of that of what you're saying there but I, for me it's more the uh i'm the owner mm. and contributing to somebody else's project as long as it's persons doing that persons can form communities and work together and do things businesses are not designed in the social branding whatever you call it they're built to be to make a profit and ownership profit implies ownership if you don't have ownership of something you can't make a profit of something because it's not your thing to make a profit of so mm. by forking it you kind of yeah no longer are dependent obligated towards the original provi provider of the software it's now your thing and you can do whatever you want and that's yep. why a, a Google and an Amazon and a Microsoft and all of the other big companies out there that have the, the, the intelligence, the people, the workforce, the resources to do this stuff, they will rather fork or buy if they can. But buying open source projects is, of course, impossible. Of course, but should be. <laughs> um, but by forking it, they do get that ownership because they kind of decide who the maintainers will be, who the main committers will be, and they are able to steer the project. And coming back to what I said earlier, that's a bit of the risk of having these uh, yeah, money injections. They mm. will inevitably, I think, come with ownership taking of the main uh, money giver. Now, in the earlier thing, when we were talking about the PGP uh, problem, then it was the number of people gave money to the Linux Foundation who then distributed it, Yeah, which is a better way because... Um, I have no reason to believe that the Linux Foundation is not impartial. I mean, people mm -hmm. are people. There are always going to be preferences, but all in and of itself, they're impartial. So that's definitely... It's a way of not having that ownership discussion. Yeah. But with the other thing, which I forget what it was again, that was the LibreSSL and OpenSSL thing. That is, mm -hmm. in my opinion, very clearly big business taking ownership or trying to take ownership by forking uh, a very well-used thing. And in this case, it might not even be a bad thing because it's very possible Google said, well, crikes, we need this OpenSSL thing. This is very important for us. And apparently we can't depend on it being around indefinitely because there are problems funding the project OpenSSL. So let's fork, take ownership, and now we will fund this thing into the future. But we won't fund something if it's not ours and we can't have that. Yeah. guarantee of longevity of the project so it might not be totally uh, dark side uh, maneuvering whatever it might just be this is how we do things how we can make this persistent and more stable but in the end result as you said yeah multiple force go up fragmentation again competition is good fragmentation yeah. is not good yeah but i mean i think to a certain extent comp uh, competition and fragmentation, I mean, they're actually, 
the same sides of a coin. They're not even two sides of the same coin. Like they're in some yeah. cases, fragmentation happens, and then those two fragments, you know, assume that they can build, you know, a, a reasonable community. Each of them, you know, they they can become competition. Yeah. It's a critical mass thing. If yeah. if you have yes. a fragmentation yeah. and every, each fragment has enough critical mass, it becomes good competition. Yeah. But it's if you don't have the critical mass across two or three of those fragments, then it's just fragmentation, and fragmentation towards entropy. Yeah, I mean, anything else to say on the the kind of the single maintainer sort of side of things before we loop back to uh, um, perhaps some I'll of do the other Do you want to take a stab at things? solving this problem? I mean, what would we say is the a, a reasonable, oh, decent God. way forward to make this work better? <laughs> I mean, I've been thinking about it, and I mean, well, I said earlier the the idea of having the bigger companies paying a kind of tax if you yeah. want to to the linux foundation or something similar like that that then distributes to uh, deserving projects would be yeah. a way forward the thing yeah. the problem here is who decides what the deserving projects are so the yeah. problem with all of this kind of stuff is you have to kind of put in place a whole bureaucracy of things and bureaucracy has two advantages it prevents the world next world war because it becomes too expensive to do a next <laughs> world war <laughs> because it kind of takes up all the money and it's a very hard thing to do but yeah people are people companies are companies i think it's the only way forward to do that, the only alternative I can see is a bit what we've been seeing with the open source licenses getting changed, that people, that some bigger projects are moving away from uh, OSS, pure OSS licenses, including things like SSPL or the, other, the more of them. I don't, I'm not a, a license uh, expert here. Again, to avoid big companies to just freely use open source projects or open source intended projects, but they need to have some kind of payment uh, involved there that would also be a way to structurally fund these smaller projects which would mean that a single maintainer problem gets solved because hey now i have a reasonable steady source of income so i can actually hire a part-time developer to yeah spread the spread the load make, make the persistence happen but uh, well, we've seen that changing the open source licenses is, is always a very contentious thing. So I'm not sure if yeah. which of the two is a better solution. But apart from that, I'm stumped. Yeah, I mean, as a as honestly a huge fan of the Linux Foundation and everything it has done across such a wide variety of areas, I'm a I'm a big fan of the option of of the 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 idea of enterprises. You know, paying a a tax, as you use as you used the the word, to the Linux Foundation, and them having some form of of you know structured, transparent, public uh, process to nominate projects for these um, this kind of support. I I personally I like that the most out of the two options that you mention. I still. I, my challenge with the idea of um, changing licenses uh, for these kinds of things is similar to what we talked about on the on the, the pre-show. It's it's the the idea around most of these are you know small single developer 
um, single maintainer projects that we've been talking about here, or these very small groups of maintainers. And a lot of the organizations that we've named throughout this session mm -hmm. could essentially just afford to hire one, two, three very smart people, fork or even just build something API compatible to the the tech in mind and just replace it as far as they're concerned. And it it's it gets us back into that conversation of not invented here, slash forking, yeah. slash fragmentation. And that's that's the thing that I don't like about that approach because I think it would I think it would lead to more fragmentation, especially for these kinds of projects that are critical but also relatively small i mean like the um the mpm uh, colors repo i know that uh, uh maybe uh, lines of code is not um is not a great uh sort of description but like the the colors it's repo a matter of effort it, yeah, I mean, it is, I'm looking at the code now, insights, what have we got here? Uh, Come on, man, the whole world is waiting with bated breath now. I know, I know. You want I numbers, mean, give us numbers. It, the whole thing is only uh, 73 commits made up of about a couple of thousand editions of 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 code um you know, it's we're, a we're library not, it's not supposed to be very big right exactly like it's not a huge um it's not a huge library in itself but it, what we're talking about here is the effect that happens when let's say someone uh, like let's let's pick on Amazon because they're the the easiest one to pick on, and they were directly affected by this. Let's say they either fork or go and create their own library and replace it. Well, great that that solves it for Amazon. Like, what about the other? You know, uh, I think there were. What's the number here? Um, Nineteen thousand projects, depending on uh on colors so you know what what happens to to all of those do they yeah. adapt to they to the the modified version of colors do they do they adopt yeah. the amazon version of colors do they i agree but you are saying that that solution would not be worse than what we have today because now with just single money injections we also get the fragmentation thing the advantage would be that let's keep picking on amazon why not they mm -hmm. will have to be uh, honest and clear and forthright uh, telling the world we have chosen not to support this valuable product project sorry we'll fork it on our own so mm. it becomes a bit of a marketing issue perhaps if they keep on forking things it becomes obvious that they would in that case really be uh, scavenging the stuff i say would be not saying it is today not saying it's mm. not not going to that <laughs> box of worms um, but it would get more of the yeah clear that they've chosen to specifically not donate to the project itself but do it that way 
Now, when you say these are typically small things with a couple, only a couple of thousand lines of codes, okay, you're right, you could have a couple of smart people in there. But then the NTP uh, article we had, I'm not sure if he's shown that one actually on screen, the NTP kind of had the same problem, I like the title here from Information Week, hinges on father time, because basically the only person that actually understands the intricacies of NTP is a somewhat older professor who has now apparently gone blind, is not even able to look at code. And the one other maintainer here is actually in this article crying out for help because when this original committer of the project, it's this professor, goes away, which at some point we all die, right? It's a problem. Now, this is a mm. person that's already been with this project for a long time has full access to the code, has actually an incentive to look at the code, to understand the code, because he's like the, the new hope, Star Wars reference there. Um, but it's not that easy because sometimes the number of, the, the, I mean, the, the lesser amount of lines, the harder the code is to read. And there's nothing worse in, in software development than inheriting a piece of code from somebody who was super efficient in his number of letters in the, in the code. That makes it way harder to, ma to maintain. And yeah, often that's why people throw away and start from scratch. Yes, not, not invented here syndrome, but also it's just too hard to understand what that person was thinking at that time, because also paradigms shift things that were normal ways of, of writing code 10 years ago are now considered ludicrous perhaps. So you would, wouldn't even think that that was why they did it. And that's how bugs and inconsistencies and weird stuff sneak into project and software projects so sure they're small in my opinion it doesn't make it easier mm. but that being said if you can keep uh, the, the the cost of bureaucracy low i would of course also be in favor of my first uh, idea there <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, obviously it's just that it's the utopian um, desire and i've been disappointed in my life so often yeah well, <laughs> shoot for the stars, even if you end up crashing face first. Shoot the for the ground. stars, burn up. Thank you very much. Yeah, could be. <laughs> so before we before we wrap this up, I think we're we'll we'll loop back around to the thing that all of this is is concerning, but one of the things that has happened from this is that the uh, the developer. Um, responsible for these two particular libraries has actually suspended, uh, has his access suspended to all of his uh, public and private uh, repositories on GitHub. Um, so GitHub themselves, GitHub took it on themselves to roll back his repository to the unmolested, untainted, whatever you want to call it, versions of his his two libraries, and then they literally locked him out from his uh, his own code by suspending his account due to, in their words, violations of uh, of uh, of their terms of service. I that's as far as I'm aware, that's still the case. I haven't seen or heard that he's regained access to his code. That's probably the most cons yeah i think that is probably the most concerning thing uh for me about all of this because we we are living in a time that we talk about interviewing people and talk about uh 
interviewing developers, like we're living very much in the, the GitHub generation. So you, you just need to look at someone's GitHub profile to understand what kind of developer they are because it's so much tool. of their Yeah, so much of, of people's code is online. So what happens when the thing that you trust to go and see what kind of a developer someone is, like they don't have a profile, they don't have any anything there that they can show. Like what happens when that supposedly independent and transparent source of information that the the organization that runs that decides to change that view like that's particularly yeah. concerning there are a couple of layers there um i mean on the one hand github and all other things like github have a uh, responsibility to 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 listen to the laws and if a law says that something cannot be distributed, think about uh, blueprints to uh, print out parts for weapons, things like that. Um, law can says you have to take this down, it's a little bit like a DMCA <laughs> request, I guess. So I can understand that GitHub has the right to take down a repo or even block uh, a person from having repos, blocking his account because he's doing illegal things. So there's probably something in their TNCs that allows them to block an account, that's fine. For me, it's the rolling back and then denying access, but still having the repos public, that's an issue. Because there, they kind of usurped all the intelligent rights that this person has on the stuff he created. And that cannot be right. That I don't see any way that it's right. I mean, that would be like Spotify, where that serves uh, our podcast, suddenly deciding that we shouldn't have access to our account anymore, taking out a couple of uh, episodes they don't agree with, maybe even putting a couple of episodes from other podcasts in there, and then keep feeding that out as the Roaring Elephant podcast. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I would be livid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would... Uh, that would not feel good. No. Because <laughs> even though this is a hobby project, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears in this, trust me. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this is just, and it's just our little baby. And I can imagine that, uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot the person's name again. Ah, sorry, Marak. Uh, that, I mean, how can you, how can you, no, this, this cannot be right. This is so wrong that a GitHub has taken this freedom of interpretation of the law or reasons or regulations they have in place there to be able to do this again if they had blocked the uh, account and taken off offline yep totally within their prerogative there should be ways for them to do that their distribution uh, thing just like youtube needs to take down uh, copyright infringing material they should be able to do that too for whatever reason they think of but what they've done here basically is forked nmp and retained the original name and that's just that's fraud yeah. Uh, I think well, if this happens again, GitLab will be laughing all the way to the bank. The, uh, just noticed something else. The, the, <laughs> the side effect of, of all of this is actually, if you do look at, uh, at GitHub and look at the, uh, the issues against the, uh, uh, the particular projects, uh, there is a huge, <laughs> Uh, list of um, essentially spam issues raised with people decrying on both sides of the uh, of the uh, equation uh, the particular situation. Um, You're saying so, people don't agree? 
Shocker. I'm saying that there is rage on the internet, and I'm very, very surprised. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a particularly it's a this this whole thing is a particularly tricky situation. Though whether we're talking single maintainers or the use of a some form of uh, shared service and the conditions that you maybe think you have or the the uh, I don't want to say promises but the guarantees you think you have yeah the rights you think you have for any given service you know may not be what you think you have so always make sure that you're uh, reading the fine print even though people never ever 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 do uh, well to be honest if, they make the fine print that long and that small that's impossible to do right yeah but if that's the case, then don't be surprised if when that if and when some of that fine print comes back to to bite you for whatever reason. Even though you may not agree with it, and you know, we may not agree with it, like it exists. Uh, yeah. I do. I'm a bit afraid that this is the start of something. That this is going to get worse before it gets better. Because again, there's 19,000 of projects in this same kind of category that at a certain point will also try exploding. This has now hit the uh, the, the 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 rotating mechanism. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering in the next couple of months, next half year, uh, how this will evolve further, if it's just going to die out and, okay, it's just an anecdote in history and nothing happens anymore, or is this going to be the start of something very significant? Because this has potential to really change the world. Yeah, very much so. Well, and on that that's bombshell, it for me. Yeah, if it's all from Grave, then that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast as always. You can become patrons. Patrons help us a lot. Contributions help. We are on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit notification bells. Watch those st- video stuffs. I make them. I put a lot of effort in them. Please watch them. You can go to www.roaringalpha.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, to the YouTube page, and all of all the information for about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the at Alpha tag, and you can still send plain old mail to podcast at roaringalpha.org. Let us know what you like, don't like, what you should do, shouldn't do, and well. I guarantee we'll read the emails. <laughs> With that, until next time, my name is at least I'm part of a duet. Jon. <laughs> and I was thinking along the same lines. I yes. was going to say uh, co-maintainer Dave here. Uh, we both look forward to talking to you again next week. Goodbye. See you then.